Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Welcome to Pubcast. I'm Pippa Chambers from Ad News and I'm here with the editor Rosie Baker and we're having a drink with CEO of Havas Media, Mike Wilson and creative partner at The Works, Paul Swan. So yeah, how do yeah. you both know each other? All right, so, so I don't, so I, you know, in parentheses, I don't want this to be a naked nostalgia piece because that's not interesting to anybody, mm-hmm. but we worked together at Naked for many years. So we set the business up. Paul was one of the very, very first hires, probably around 2004, 2005. 2005, um, Was a media guy mm-hmm. in Europe, if I can say that. Yeah, so you can. You're not yes. trying to hide that. No, I, I still yeah. get yeah, that thrown back. At me. Yeah. Um, and then joined Naked, where nobody was media or creative, everybody yeah. was everything, and sort of transitioned and blossomed and became the genius creative leader that he is today. And so, Mike, what made you suggest Paul as a person you'd want to debate the issues of the day with or just have a catch-up with? He knew I'd be available. <laughs> <laughs> Two reasons. One is I know I can beat him in any debate on any subject. And it's really important for me to always win. But seriously, you asked me who I rated very, very highly in the world of creatives and creativity in the industry. And I see Paul as very much at the, uh, the front of that list. Now, I can say that with a degree of qualification because we spent a long time working together as well. So. Keep going. That was it. Yeah, that's pretty good, pretty good praise. What my plan was, was just to kind of talk about some of the bigger new things that have happened this week and get just your perspectives on them. They don't have to be lofty, they can be positive, negative. Mm. The biggest thing creatively, I think, that came out this week was Coca-Cola restructuring its global marketing. And I was in talking to Lisa Wynn, as a APAC marketing director, on Wednesday morning just after it launched. And I think it's a hugely interesting shift in their strategy. There's a lot of creative coming out, it's global, it's a big sort of change in how they approach their marketing. What do you think of the creative work, though? Strategically, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't profess to know in detail what they're looking to, to achieve. From what I understand, it's, I suppose, a simplification. Um, you know, you're working with a wildly complicated situation with Coke, with the scale that it is, with the number of brands, with the number of issues that are circling that sort of world. So I think purely from a simplification perspective, there's some, something really kind of smart and, and quite brave, I suppose, um, the challenge, obviously, is that you have got these different brands and how do they still have a, a voice and they still do the jobs that maybe they were created to do. I mean, there was a lot of noise about life launching a year or so ago and what that was doing and how that was playing a role in repositioning the overall brand, I think, 
in a more health conscious kind of world. So I suppose the, the interesting question will be how does that still happen under this kind of more singular strategy? Creatively, it's all the same issues with a global approach, which is, I suppose, lacking in sort of local nuance and insight that potentially really connects, which maybe could be challenging in a, you know, the more social media focused world where, you know, you're looking for that kind of engagement. Yeah, I mean, Mike, you've, you've got a lot of experience on coat. You know it inside out as a, as a business. So good to get your, your take on it. Um, yeah, well, I think from a strategic point of view, what you, what you say is exactly right. Um, I think there's some things to be very much admired in what they've done. So they've got a new marketing director. He's been very single-minded in the strategic direction. I was very impressed that he launched the campaign uh, very publicly. I think he did a press conference where he literally took the gathered trade media through his strategy presentation slide by slide. Right. They're doing the same thing yeah. regionally in Hong Kong next week, yeah. and I'm going to it, yeah. and it's going to be very interesting to and see I, it presented at a global yeah. level. And I've got, I've got nothing but admiration for someone who's prepared to, to back himself to that extent and shows great, great leadership. When it comes to dissecting and analysing and casting opinions, it's very difficult to evaluate a monumental marketing campaign and all of its machinery on the basis of some advertising because advertising and marketing aren't the same thing and in the world of coca-cola and i haven't worked on it for, for, for several years but what i do know is they are some of the smartest most sophisticated brilliantly trained marketers um, that anybody who works with them will agree to and they wouldn't have done this without an awful lot of analysis and you have to remember what everybody's what everybody's doing now is they're harking back to their first experience of Coca-Cola marketing, which is television ads. And um, Paul's quite right because my, my understanding is they've engaged four or five different creative agencies from different regions of the world. They are doing work that's going to be pulled globally. And in some ways you could say that's a reflection of their understanding in some ways of the diminishing impact television advertising because they've taken that away from lots of the local markets and pulled it for a more efficient use of those resources and I can guarantee you all the other things that happen around um, the campaigns and from what they do on the ground obviously all the work that the bottlers do at retail that's what drives the business and um, yes let's not judge the potential success of this on the basic basis of some TV ads that we've probably all seen on our PCs um, and, and then make calls on it. And I think it's too early on the basis of what we've seen yeah. to say w- yeah. what it is yeah. that sits behind that sort of yeah. like infrastructure to allow yeah. people to, to go deeper or to share or to inject, the, yeah. inject the, themselves into it. Yeah. And you know, we, know, we know that they do that brilliantly, as we've seen from previous campaigns. I reckon that, yeah, absolutely. I reckon there's a, a lot more to come under. This is the, the surface. I mean, I think there, there was a period... Um, Recently, when Coke seemed to be doing lots of really interesting things from a sort of creative perspective, um, the small world machines and the share of Coke and all that kind of stuff, and I'm sure they haven't forgotten the impact those kind of initiatives have and the the role that this iconic global brand can play. So, yeah, I'd like to think that what we've seen so far is is the, the kind of wrapping paper, and beneath it is a lot of that kind of smart, insightful kind of thinking that we've seen and I think internally as well they've got some quite interesting operations around innovation and things like that which again I'm sure are, are just kind of chomping at the bit to to fire up and show how they're going to implement 
the, the strategy. I haven't had a, enough time to think about the line and what the line mm. means because that's you know while that is again wrapping, it's it's Post quite important. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is quite core to what the Coke brand has always stood for. The sort of slogan because they're so they're replacing open happiness, yeah. which they've had since two thousand and nine, I think. Um, and I never really quite got open happiness. Well, in the Coke world. They talk about intrinsics and extrinsics. So intrinsics, what's in the bottle, and it's the you know it's the product and the, the the taste and all of those things. And extrinsics are the way they make you feel and what you get out of it. And uh, it's not unknown for big companies to change from one to the other and then back again, and almost in a cyclical way. And it's possibly not surprising that a, a new marketing leader globally is going to come on and, and, and take a fresh view. And clearly what they've done is they've gone from an extrinsic point of view around open happiness and sentiment and emotion through to a much more intrinsically based campaign. Although I'd say they're having a, they're having a bet each way because taste the feeling, yes. feeling it's, is, it's, it's, it's obviously a bit of both. Intrinsic and yeah. extrinsic. But they may, they, may be a, they may be a tripwire in that because lots of people I've spoken to said they're not quite, they don't quite get what are they trying to say yeah. and that's because they're trying to say two things yeah. at once yes. and anchoring it in, yes. in intrinsics I think mm. and reminding people how great the yeah. product tastes yeah. but which I think um, is what they, what they said was their problem that they had done too much kind of focusing on the personalities yeah. of what those brands exactly. were and not enough on saying well this is why Coke Zero is different to yeah. Diet Coke exactly. and this is why yes. you should be yeah. wanting that exactly, exactly. So, and yes. uh, you know from a pure brand marketing point of view I mean you need to talk to the guys and sort of strategic brand experts but the notion of Diet Coke, Coke Zero, Coke Life as brands in their own right, they obviously all have a different degree of brand equity based on you know, the time in market and the activities they've done over the years. So it's very, very early in Coke Life's life stage to say what it really stands for because a lot of those things are accumulated over time. Whereas something Coke Red, the main brand, is obviously everybody knows yeah. what it stands for because we all grew up with it, as did our parents. Yeah. And um, I, I, I completely understand why they've done what they've done. So I, I think it's less about evaluating the creative at the moment and more about saying what, what we're witnessing, I think, is a statement of strategic intent and a great display of leadership from the CMO. Yeah. I think that the thing talking to talk about the creative, I think, that I think is interesting is that it's a very, it's a very broad brush, broad appeal, creative approach for this kind of global strategy. And I think that it will be interesting, kind of, to see through through the sort of the course of the year what different regions, different countries do in terms of innovation and locally, local activations yeah. in tapping into that. Because one thing that you do sort of get when you watch these ads is that they're they're so broad because they do have to try and appeal to mm-hmm. everyone everywhere, and yep. that is notoriously difficult to do because if everyone's your target market, you can try and stand for everything and nothing at all at the same time. And I think that's a really no, but I think if you do, balance. if you do. You do the right work and you are in the right place, you can still come up with something that captures hearts and minds, even though it has very, very broad appeal. And uh, Coke have been very successful at doing that in the past, and, you know, and they, they have to do that because of the nature of their business and what they're trying to do. But also remember, 2016 is the year of two massive events, and Coke are always very, very active and supportive. It's an Olympics year and it's a European football championship year. And they will have built their whole programs very much with a view to being able to activate the new positioning in, in big, major, global events with huge on-ground attendances, television audiences. Yeah, we'd, we'd be foolish just to look at the TV ads we've seen on YouTube and say, oh, I don't like the ad, I don't like what Coke's mm-hmm. doing. Um, so, talking about another kind of creative ad that's been big this year is the Meat and Livestock um, Australia, Australia Day ad. 
every year it's kind of looked forward to and every year it kind of is hyped up and it is, is one of the kind of the best ads that people look at at the start of the year. This year was obviously shrouded in controversy and there was a backlash from the vegan, um, the vocal vegan minority. I think the ad has is now the most complained about ad of all time in Australia. What do you think about the, the kind of the treatment of it in the press and the backlash and how it's been dealt with in a kind of regulatory thing? Because for MLA, they don't have a massive budget, so the more the more press and mentions they get, it's kind mm. of like there's no such thing as bad press. But what do you think about the kind of the outcry about it? First of all, I I actually think it's it's more than an ad; it's an idea, and it actually reminds me of the types of ideas that came out, you know, four or five years ago. And this isn't to the detriment of it; it's, um, I'm being complimentary. When people started to produce big integrated ideas and. BMF and Naked and a few other agencies started to produce ideas that had sort of real substance beyond just an execution. And I feel this has this kind of notion of all these people out there around the world missing out. And you could, I could immediately see lots of brilliant ways they could bring this to life and they've started to roll it out. So I, I like it because it's a, it's a proper idea. It's a big, rounded, integrated idea. Um, first and foremost, so um, I think the execution is, is is good and you know it's well made and it conveys that idea that they're they're trying to, to deliver. I'm, I'm a fan. Uh, in terms of the the controversy and the the backlash and all that piece, I, I can kind of understand it. And you know I think the, the issues they're tapping into are ones that people hold very firmly. Um, I, I, I looking at it multiple times really can't see that it was overly pointed and and you know warranted the the reaction that it did um, however people you know have wildly differing opinions on you know the buttons that um, that are pressed and how they react to them so I can kind of empathize with that um, I don't think it was something they set out to deliberately upset people over um, it's it feels like in the vein of Aussie humor and uh, you know I think that's something that should be protected and, and prized and uh, it's, it's in line with what the brand's always really done yeah, in its marketing exactly. isn't it? it it's so in line with the personality yeah. that they yeah and I'm, I'm sure they i'm sure it was tested you know most most stuff of that scale is and it probably came up somewhere within that testing they probably didn't make a call to go with it and um uh, and, and i applaud that as well that um you and know entertainment next year yeah it, well exactly but you can't i mean i think you know <laughs> Mike and I have spoken about this sort of stuff a lot of the time. You, you kind of do have to be upsetting a few people to have that edge and that tension and that cut through that makes something exciting. And you have to bring the heat into a situation to, to make it kind of stand out. I mean, my view on the, the Lamb ad is uh, that we spend a lot of time, particularly in media agencies, doing evaluation about impact and effectiveness. And uh, you know, there's lots of studies out there that talk about the diminishing impact of television commercials over time versus uh, you know, previous years. But the reality is just about everybody I know who works in the industry, regardless of what field they're in, still gets excited and proud of really good, uplifting, quality advertising. And I think this does that. I think it's really fun. It's really engaging. Strategically, it's quite interesting because they had a big challenge, didn't they, post Sam Kekovic? You know, they had to uh, had to make a big statement. There was a lot of positive equity around the Kekovic campaigns historically. And it was interesting. I was talking um, I was talking to someone the other day, and they saw they watched the, the new ad, and they just assumed automatically that Lamb on Australia Day was an accepted tradition like Turkey on Christmas Day to the extent that by watching it you don't even bring into question Mm. 
should I have land in Australia? It was just given, and I, th- I think they've, mm. they've woven that, you know, complete truism of lamb equals Australia Day, Australia equals lamb, really, really cleverly. Whereas the Kekovich one was much more, you should have lamb, mm. you know, driving people to purchase, you know, very successful and yeah. good advertising too. Um, so I think, I think it's great, Adelaide's really funny, um, it's got loads of gags in it, you know, lots of jokes and using the, per- the different personalities will appeal to lots of different people. Controversy is interesting. I think, personally, I think, you know, what you said, Rosie, I'm, I'm sure they'll be rubbing their hands at the column inches um, and the digital equivalent um, that they've generated because it's just going to drive more people to look at the ads, which will work well in their favour. Um, I think if you show a vegan vulnerably cowering in an ad for a meat product and then you ask someone from the vegan um, authority what their point of view is, you're pretty... I think, I think the, loaded, the question's quite loaded, isn't it? Um, but the other point about the controversy is they've understood modern channels because if they'd reproduced that ad ten years ago, there wouldn't have been anything like the proliferation of commentary because all those channels didn't exist. Um, whether it was uh, confected and contrived to create that, I mean, the fact they've got a vegan in the ad suggests they had thought about yeah. it, obviously. Um, I think, again, really smart. Is it an outrage? No, of course it's not. It's great, it's great advertising. Do you think it, um, it's a good example of a, a brand making a brave and a bold, risky choice? Because we talk a lot about being risk-averse and there being a lot of mm. safe choices made. And you talked mm. about Paul how you know, that, that would have been tested and would have been... Mm. The decision was made at some point to go, is this going to be a problem? Let's yeah. go for it anyway. Does that happen anywhere near enough, or does this show that brands should do it more? Yeah, no, I, you know, there's with with testing and how quickly testing can be done now. There's there's probably more of it than ever, I think, taking place. I mean, even if a campaign is sort of pretty imminent, you can still kind of get an online poll together and, and pull some opinions. To an extent, that's giving lots of people lots of things to think about and lots of things to be kind of wary of. But I still think there's lots of people that are sophisticated and will kind of embrace the fact that you do need some of those, um, that, that light and shade within things to, to, to create it. I suppose if there's a channel thing here as well. I mean, uh, I suppose we increasingly talk about, you know, maybe using social content as an opportunity to, to, to play in some of those kind of edgier spaces. You can put things up as a lower cost of production, there's a lower media weight behind it. You can get a quick read on whether or not... Um, uh, people are freaking out over it or whether or not they're loving it and sharing it and and going nuts for it so hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Really, media should be enabling us to try more things, put them out there, gauge reactions, um, do it and sort of apologise later, maybe, is, is something that's 
opened up as an opportunity? I think the reality is we're a very conservative society and we have a conservative culture and that's often reflected in our marketing work. Um, having said that, there are opportunities for those people who are you know, prepared to sort of take risks and try into new territories and they've got the means of doing that now through uh, different forms of content that live in, live in different places. So I think if you, if you look hard enough you can still see some, some interesting places but there's certainly um, people can be a bit risk averse when it comes to the big budget pieces because there's a lot riding on those and people don't want to make mm. mistakes. But another, another point about risk is risk is an inherent component of strategy. The strategy is all about making bets about what's going to you know, drive greater sales or you know get people to buy more often or whatever it might be and you need to, you need to take you know there needs to be a degree of risk taking in there and um, I think if you take that element away you're taking away one of the fundamental pillars and levers of strategic development and you need to have that in order to do new things and go into new territories you know, and that's you know that's what happens in art that doesn't necessarily happen in advertising. Well, that kind of segues quite well into well, the... Well, Mike. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was good. I was thinking, how, how am I going to get into the year? But So, talking about um, zero-based budget marketing. So, Unilever made this call this week that they're going to change the way that they look at their allocating their marketing budgets, mm -hmm. which is, again, another huge shift for a massive global advertiser, one of the biggest spending advertisers globally and locally. So, basically, this means that Instead of a brand director starting out the year with a $10 million budget, for instance, mm. and then having that $10 million to spend and allocate throughout the year on whatever projects and campaigns, they basically start the year with a zero budget and have to prove to the board, to the CFO, every single thing they're going to spend their money on, what it's worth and what it's going to pay back. So you're having to prove the worth of your marketing before you get the money. I think this is a really, really interesting thing to do. I think it's a massive thing for Unilever to do, and I think, but I think it's quite difficult. Do you think it's a good way for marketing to have to, to operate, to prove itself? Like, like everything, there's some good aspects to it, and there's some challenges, I think. Um, I think originally this model was cooked up by a private equity business. Yes, I think who, so. Um, you know, some, some years ago, and had a limited degree craft, of success. And craft, craft and yeah. all these, and Heinz yeah. in the US have yeah. all done versions Element, of this. Elements, that's right. And um, I think if you're doing zero-based budgeting around businesses, it makes complete sense because it's about cost management. But my, my challenge around zero-based budgeting is this notion it's it tends to be around cost management not necessarily about value creation and part of the job of the marketer or the strategist is to create value and to create opportunities and you will if you on a zero based budget modeling i would imagine you have to base just about everything you do on historical data but in marketing what you're trying to do is create new markets or sell you know be innovative and that maybe maybe that could be quite difficult but i'm sure i'm sure they've got models and systems that that take that into account what i like about it though is the way it forces people to think about what's doing what's right mm -hmm. rather than just doing what's always been done before. And you know, in, a, in an agency environment, for example, one of the sort of workshop things we do at Havas and um, versions have done previously is 
because you need to get people to think about you know what's, what's the what's the best thing you can do not assume you've got a television advertising budget and then allocate it and then do something do something with it it's like let's start let's start mm. from zero yeah. and it forces good ideas good thinking um, and as long as you've got you know got the right caliber of people and the right processes to, yeah. to drive that I think it can be a really good discipline it's like when you know when you've got a really small budget you're forced to be more creative yes. because you, you can't afford the excess if you've just got you know yeah, absolutely. I think um, there's a, a great practice that came out of um, one of the US agencies years ago, which was starting with the press headline you were going to receive for this campaign, and it forced you to think about how you would generate earned media, so without having to kind of rely on it. Um, you know, the media landscape is changing so rapidly, so basing things on you know what you did last year um, in a market which is wildly different from last year um, and will be wildly different again um, you know it seems like it makes a lot of sense to kind of reset seismic changes in, 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 in um, where audiences can be found and uh, where budgets can be apportioned and that kind of thing so um, I'm sure it's, it's, it's challenging internally and you know having to start from the ground up each time will be time intensive and, and those people have already got a lot to do and a lot on their plate. It seems like a, a good discipline to be in, though, to be thinking, do I need to do this or am I just doing it because I can? Yeah, but how, it brings me back to the cost versus value question. Yeah. It's easy to evaluate all of your costs and see if you could be optimising your cost base. But that's not the same thing as saying what do we need to do in order to drive the most value. So if you had a client, if, if, your, if your client was taking this approach, yeah. how does that then affect the way you would would work with that client, what what would you need to prove to them to demonstrate that actually you need this much budget to, to achieve what you're briefed to do? We're in an environment at the moment where we do have an awful lot of data and all the big uh, holding companies in the world um, have access to systems and tools and experts and data scientists and programs and software analyses and university departments and uh, I think part of uh, part of the challenge of today is making sense of all of that in a way that uh, is easily translatable in our in our daily conversations with our clients and our and our people. So um, I'm not I'm not sure we're there yet. Um, again, I know. Um, and the question you're asking, Rosie, is how do you make sense? And in order to make the right decisions around cost to get the best possible outcome, well, then I think you have to bring you have to bring that knowledge to bear. Yeah. But at the moment, it's a, it's a very com- complex world. But you know, the, what was the, the cliche last year? Mad men to math men. I mean, yeah. you know, we're not we're not jumping straight out of one creative world into a sort of purely data analytics business. It's about understanding how the two things should be brought together. Well, especially I guess all the media agencies are kind of you know touting their wares with their data expertise and reporting analytics yeah. and everything. Do you know why there isn't a Nobel Prize for maths? No. Do you know why there's, there's, there is, there that is, did not sound like you know, that didn't sound I have a feeling he's going to tell us. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm glad you asked. Yeah. Because then Mr. Nobel, mm. his missus ran off with a mathematician. Oh, okay. So when he uh, started all his various prizes for all the different disciplines, chemistry, literature, peace, etc., he refused to give one for maths because his wife had left him for a mathematician. So all mathematicians are still being punished for one infidelity. No, so because you can read the, you can win the field medal for mathematics, which is the equivalent of the Nobel Prize. I did not know that. Well, and and is it is it also true that Nobel was a dynamite company? Do you know this? Yeah, they invented. 
dynamite. They basically invented dynamite, yes. and the prize the was... The irony a, of the peace prize, and they invented dynamite. But that's, that's the whole point, is to kind of offset the, oh. um, the, the damage and destruction uh, that so was caused it's through... it's the very origins of a corporate yeah. social responsibility policy, yeah. is the yeah. entire Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe so. I mean, um, you might want to fact-check that one. Probably <laughs> no, no, that it's not it. it's, on, it's on record. Okay. It's recorded. I'll stand, I'll stand, I'll stand mm. by it. I didn't know either of those things. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So if you're looking, you know, as, a, as an agency group to invest in mathematicians to sit behind all your algorithms and uh, all your desks, you need to look at the field medal winners. Don't go looking for Nobel Prize winners. Okay. Um, so Paul, you um, suggested some of the things you sent over looking at awards. And obviously this week, DDB's global team came out and said that mm. they are planning to enter fewer of the global awards programs. So spending less money on it and kind of, I guess, focusing on the work, not trying to win awards, which is, sounds pretty much like what the industry should be doing. And I think there's a lot, um, you know, over recent years been talked about how many awards programs there are mm. and, you know, how much value do they all offer? Mm. What, what makes them important? Why does an agency want to win them? Um, obviously, the Ad News Agency of the Year Awards are about to happen, the entries have just come in. They're the only ones that matter. Yes. Well, yeah. exactly. Yeah. There you go. Let's yeah. stop now. I don't know why you're bothered with any other. No. Are there actually any other awards? <laughs> no. 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 Um, that aside, you know, we, we obviously have a great... We have... No. And the Ad News Awards. Yeah. 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 But it, it would be the Ad News Awards and then and quite far down Oscars. Yeah. yeah, they're the only time. I mean, maybe we'll give Leonardo DiCaprio an Ad News Award and that will make up for all the Oscars he hasn't won. Very true. Perhaps we'll see if he can help. Yeah. He's, uh, he's a bit of a whiz when it comes to programmatic trading. So oh, really? Uh, yeah, so oh, really like <laughs> Let's do that. But obviously there's a lot of local awards programmes, a lot of global ones. There's prestige that comes with winning something like a Can Lion or a Clio or a Pencil. But what do you think about DDB stance in terms of entering fewer and focusing on the ones that matter? What do we think? Yeah, yeah, no, it, it, it's a good one, isn't it? It's one of those ones that sort of um, pops its head up every year and, and probably around this time as we move into that, that sort of season and everyone starts to question it and debate how many there are and which are the ones that are worth entering and why and all that kind of stuff. And that, the, the announcement from DDB was, was probably pretty much there. I know I got a bit of slack for being a bit on the fence because um, I think it was words like fewer um, in there. Um, but I think that's probably right, to be honest. I, I really think there is a really important role for, for awards um, within the industry. Having won a lot yourself last year, the work did quite well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we, 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 had, we, had a good, we had a good run on that. And, and actually that, that was kind of, kind of interesting for us in that the agency has never really been uh, one to, to chase um, those creative awards and um, we've sort of put a lot of effort into, into Effie's always because that's, that's one we've found that clients really, really respond to and that would be one that would, would probably be top of the list I think. And again the rigour that you need to put into that kind of entry I think really sort of proves that there was some grunt behind the campaign and it, and it, and it did deliver and it, yeah, I'm very, very proud of our achievements of that one. But I think any, any of the awards that um, really, really push the industry, I think, and I'm, I'm a little bit disheartened sometimes when I see new categories being released. Um, I think every now and again there'll be something significant within the industry that warrants that um, and means that you need to incorporate it, but sometimes there are these shameless plays that um, you, you, you can sense are more driven by a sort of profit than, than anything else. I mean, uh, for, for me, I suppose DNAD will still always be the, um, the benchmark, and I think purely defined by how rigorous um, uh, the, the, 
criteria are for, for getting anywhere. And I, they released a series of videos a year or so ago um, about the judging process. And I think they were just great for anyone in the industry to, to, to watch because the, the, really the, the bar was so high. Um, and to watch the, the judges debate what for most people would be you know, their proudest moment in a career, uh, just not making it because of one element letting it down, I think is fantastic. And I think um, you know, I, I love that extremity. Uh, of, of, of difficulty and it's uh, really being tested really being what tested what it says it's yeah. doing and what it actually does yeah, absolutely and you know campaigns that you know scored well all around the world falling down based on kind of one element that wasn't thought through enough or a, a little bit of the UX experience or a bit of crafting or whatever or you know I think that's the kind of work we, we want to do um, and we aspire to. So I think, I think they're important. I don't think we, we want an industry without awards. Um, I think, I, I also think that there is a place for, for work that is experimental and I know the work I've been involved in and I know Mike has too where you know, we, we've kind of played along that line. Maybe it's been something experimental that um, uh, we tried with a pro bono client or with a um, a smaller brand um, and took learnings and then rolled them out for, for our um, bigger corporate clients. I think there's a, there's a real role for that. Also, just shamelessly from a creative perspective, is the, the creative people have a desire to make things and sometimes you can go a while without doing that. And I think to keep your skills sharp and to keep your hand in, to be able to produce things um, uh, that may be again for pro bono clients or smaller clients or little side briefs for, for existing clients is, is fantastic. There's no bigger driver for people in work than recognition of some sort. And certainly the ad industry is great at creating various programs um, which um, support recognition. And the reality is, you know, you could have a full-time team who did nothing but write award entries from morning till night, every day of the year, given the multitude of local, regional, global, strategic, creative, media, analytic, etc., and the list goes on. Awards. So you have to, you know, you have to pick and choose what you, where you think you do, you derive um, the most benefit. I think what Paul says certainly about the creative community is has has never changed, and um, you know, there's definitely very highly sought after recognition in the creative community for DNAD pencils and and Clio's and, and so forth. I think maybe on the other sort of business sides, uh, we tend to look more around where effectiveness is a real key measure. So the FEs always features really highly. Um, and then after that, there's a whole plethora of other awards, which uh, I think agencies will uh, choose to participate in for, you know, for, for reasons that they can justify based on their own uh, sort of marketing and, and growth plans. And you know, there's no doubt that having a good string of awards um, in any given year or period is, acts as a fantastic recruitment tool. I mean, to me, it's one of the great things um, that awards can do for you for recruitment. But having spent an awful lot of time judging awards, sitting in a dark room for days on end, looking at case studies, can we just ban <laughs> the emotional piano yes. uh, piece that runs underneath the case study? I must have seen yeah. 200 of those in a couple of days. Last, and uh, at one point, I just, I just wanted to ban anything I heard with a piano in it. Yeah, yep. and, uh, it's just become so cliched. So, what what's the best way then to, to judge to judge work for that recognition? If you know case studies and the judging process can get be so prolonged and so you know mm. 
Well, it's nice. Just, what, what's the best way to do it? Particularly when you're in a sort of a, a creative environment, you need to use the same skills that you use when you're producing yeah. your work, which is find things that are eye-catching and memorable and cut through. Yeah. And I guarantee you, you can sit in a room for 10 hours straight with no windows and see a multitude of case studies that all look and sound exactly the same mm. and for such a creative industry that's so you know that's a treasure that's a missed opportunity yeah. I think it feels like we are at you know peak piano I mean um, we're actually in the process of putting a few things together for some of the festivals coming up and desperately trying to think about a different way of yeah. doing it you know you're you are restrained a little bit by what's required on the the entry forms and the format that... But now we're on the entry forms, so make sure that you use <laughs> an emotive Inaudi-style uh, emotive piano piece that tugs up the whole yeah, no, you're right. for your latest toilet cleaner commercial. Yeah, well, you know, you, you are right as far as that's concerned. But um, the format and the structure and all those kind of things so they kind of tend to lead people down a path, don't they? And we end up with these um, you know, very kind of cookie-cutter um, uh, case studies. My pet... You know, Peeve is the um, 48 billion media impressions bit at the end mm-hmm. with the, with the um, press clippings and the websites. R- the flashing. ROI Starburst. Exactly. That's, that's <laughs> always a classic. With the always 9 million right. tweets, yeah. this many yeah. Facebook yeah. likes, this many inches. But, yeah. I'd, but yeah. I'd, you know, I'd have to confess to being guilty of that as well. <laughs> this has been the Ad News Podcast. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.